Testing the speed reduction plan in the oven. This week, CoreZone and speed reduction went to committee and not much happened. We'll walk you through that. And one simple fix. Cyclists hate him. How one Ward 3 counselor is single-handedly solving snow removal. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 74. It is Wednesday as we're recording this, and Troy has just spent... All day? Yeah, all day. It's I showed up at like 9, I left at like three i was in city hall all day talking about the core zone so if i sound cranky and or bitter just know that it's because i am <laughs> he was there representing you edmonton i was uh i suffer again so that you don't have to etc etc catchphrase also our catchphrase is welcome to the rapid fire segment at the start of every episode Two Edmonton residents might be new millionaires after two tickets sold by Lotto Max in the Edmonton area went unclaimed. The two presumed Edmontonians, lucky recipients of the generous wealth transfer from problem gamblers, would have to answer where and when they bought the ticket to prove that it was them who bought it. Places like the grocery store, corner store, pharmacy, gas station, or pretty much anywhere else items are sold. A commissioner at AGLC faxed us this reply, quote, Remember, if you can afford to buy food at the grocery store, you can also afford to stop at the lottery counter on the way out. It would be irresponsible not to. And then there were some scribbled out comments about funding charities and nonprofits. The Valley Line Southeast LRT will be operational, quote, as soon as possible in 2021. The line, which was supposed to be finished by December of this year, has been trending at about 70% efficiency, according to a city report. Key milestones, like opening the shared-use portion of the Tawatina Bridge over the North Saskatchewan River in May of 2019, have long since gone by. A big source of the delay appears to have come from a misunderstanding. TransEd Consortium bought, quote, Twitter for Dummies at the start of the project and thought LRT stood for Last Retweet, and they have been constructing a long thread of retweets, or a line, for the past couple of years. TransEd's PR company, Focus Communications, is no longer involved in the project. See, now here's the thing. That one included a lot of facts. The PR company definitely isn't involved in the project. Sometimes I wonder when I'm writing this, do people mind that just some things aren't facts anymore? An Alberta entrepreneur could be $250,000 richer if they come up with a solution to the growing problem of liquor store robberies in Edmonton. The Edmonton Police Foundation has teamed up with Alcana Inc., who recently drew the attention of the Privacy Commissioner for their driver's license scanning scheme to offer up the prize. My proposed solution of prohibition, they can't steal from the stores if they're all closed and the product is on the black market instead, was not selected. However, my follow-up suggestion of just buy another helicopter was initially met with a standing ovation, so we're looking forward to a better-funded podcast in the future. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by That's Food, a new podcast from CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. The podcast explores the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. Here's a taste. What? You never heard of That's Food? You know it's a good podcast, right? That's Food is a new podcast from CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Handmade with love by University of Alberta students. Telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. I come from a big bread family, so like toast on toast on toast, probably with maybe a different item you can toast. There's lots out there that's happening in Edmonton. I mean, we are not a sleepy city like most people think. I mean, we have stuff going on all the time, which is exciting, right? That's so tough. It's hard to pick. 
pick just one flavor. But you can always pick birthday cake. But you can always pick you can always pick birthday cake mm-hmm. on your birthday. On your birthday. Yeah. This podcast explores a wide range of topics on food, ranging from interviews with influential food people to a deep dive into classic Edmonton meals. We'll be coming out with seven episodes. But who's this podcast for? People who are interested in stories of Edmonton or food in Edmonton or both. Especially broad uni students who go to events for food. Basically every day, bruh. It's every day, bro. You can find us at That's Food on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you download podcasts. And on our website, that'sfood.transistor.fm. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at That's Food CGSR. New episodes drop weekly starting February 10th. But is it food? That's, That's food. You can listen to That's Food on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can also, of course, find it on their website, which is that'sfood.transistor.fm. So I think I'm supposed to take the backseat on this first segment. I was at the Core Zone all day, and you didn't really listen to any of the council meeting. I didn't. I decided that we could split the work today. And by split, I mean you would do all of it. And I would just write some questions and ask you about it on the podcast. So so an inverse of the typical speaking municipally relationship. Maybe. Uh, I was surprised this week um, to not to read it about on the agenda, but to see that there were 10 reports. For some reason, administration felt they needed to break this item into 10 different reports, all roughly saying the same thing. You were there all day. I first just want to ask you like, What was it like at City Hall today? Set the scene for us. I wasn't sure there was a council meeting going on because most of the councillors weren't there. The mayor was absent the whole time. Uh, Many councillors were gone or were weaving in and out during the day. Which on committee day is not necessarily unusual. I mean, the the committee members obviously are there and the others can kind of come and go as they please. Don Iveson is on the committee, though, so he was also absent. Um, But yeah, you're right. Typically on committee days, it's just the committee and that's usually four members of council. So... You know, this is a way of splitting up the work so council doesn't all have to show up for everything. However, on the big committee dates, you know, last time speed reductions came up, something about LRT or some of the big committee items, usually councillors will make efforts to all show up. And they didn't today, whether they had more pressing obligations. I mean, Councillor Esslinger is overseas right now, uh, but she had called in. So it it just wasn't a very full day uh, overall. Okay, so looking at the reports, um, I highlighted a few things that stood out to me from these 10 reports, and I won't I won't read all of them, but develop the safe mobility strategy 2021 to 2025. That's something administration says it's going to do this year. Um, they shared that over half of all respondents to the latest traffic call safety culture survey agree that traffic safety is a concern. We got to see some data that drivers failing to yield to pedestrians was the cause of the majority of collisions in residential areas from 2009 to 2018. Council, our administration only put forward 21 roadways that they thought should be um, exempt from any speed limit reduction. An addendum to that, administration didn't put those forward. Administration consulted with councillors on where councillors thought they shouldn't be. Fair enough. Okay. Um, you know keep going through this list of, uh, of reports and the things in it. And it seems to me that it's speed limit reduction is here and it's going to happen. So is that the vibe you got? Yeah. So on the note, why there were 10 reports is Councillor Paquette mostly drove this bus back on the last part of the discussion. He made the point that, well, let's not talk about one part of something and then another part a month later. Let's get everything back at once and we can have a fulsome discussion about it. 
in practice, we got 10 reports that all kind of look the same and don't really say much new, but that was the attempt. And that's why we had these 10 cross-referenced reports. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but your comments about speed reduction, it's pretty apt. And like we said last time we covered this back in May, today wasn't about relitigating uh, whether we should reduce speeds, though we certainly showed up in droves to try and convince council of that. Council already voted to reduce speeds in the Edmonton. Today was about the mechanism by which we're going to do that, the specific bylaws, the actual mechanics of doing this. And it didn't really turn out that well, way. Well, it's also about making sure that they follow through on that, right? Yes. So there was 25 or so speakers there today or who had registered to speak at least? Yeah, there was a significant contingent of speakers, the most we've ever had for speed reduction. Okay. And so did everyone say the same thing? Mostly. Uh, there was... I think there was about 30 total speakers. Uh, I think it was 24 or 25 of us spoke in some way in favor of speed reduction, whether it's 30, 40, a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, There were four or five speakers that spoke against, hey, let's not do this or um, let's do something else. I think I saw on Twitter, Kirsten Goa uh, tweeted that one of them was an actual true ambulance chaser, somebody from James H. Brown and Associates, injury lawyers. He spoke right after me at council and he came out hard against it. Uh, he was very much of the realm of personal responsibility. Let's not nanny state this. Uh, there's no problem. He said, you know, when I was a kid 30 years ago, we didn't fear traffic. And now everyone seems to be so fearful. Well, it's hard to get a man to believe in something when his paycheck depends on it, right? Isn't that what people say? It unfortunately didn't come up uh, because when counselors went to question, he booked it right out of there uh, like someone uh, chasing an ambulance. I'm going to come to your comments, I promise. But uh, Julie Cusick also spoke Mm -hmm. and she also had an op-ed published in the Edmonton Journal this morning. Um, talking about the need to get to 30 kilometers an hour. She wrote that it's not picked out of thin air. It's based on research. And um, her her op-ed really talked about the idea of belonging and that no matter whether you um, really want this or not, it's about us all being welcome in the city and all belonging to the city, whether we drive or whether we walk. Is that kind of what she said at council? Yeah, and she made the comment even more poignantly at council that, you know, we're all pedestrians, cyclists, seniors, children at some point in our lives and at some point during our days even. Mm. And 30 kilometers an hour in front of our homes, that's a speed that allows you to switch that mode safely. You can be a person walking, talking to your neighbors. You can be the kid skateboarding down the street. You can be the motorist coming home after a long day. And that speed is safe for everyone in that interaction. And it makes it sort of a sense where everyone belongs at home in Edmonton. Right. Before we get to your comments, anyone else you want to highlight? Any of the other speakers stand out to you or anything they say kind of draw your attention? Well, so there was a couple things that really drew attention. And I think the best one, Conrad Nobert, uh, mm. people should know him. Uh, he's a Especially famous on Twitter. traffic safety advocate. He was of the initial crew of Paths for People back right. when it was a wee little advocacy organization. Um, he came out pretty fiery. And in fact, I have a bit of a clip. Uh, Cartmel, so in my comments, and we'll get to them in a second, I was sort of egging Cartmel on. Um, He didn't take the bait. Uh, Cartmel had flip-flopped his position. Conrad, on the second panel after lunch, he took a hard hit at Cartmel and said, you know, I would be really embarrassed to be a traffic engineer and to not follow a worldwide set of engineering science and come up with this blog post that really does not represent the issue at all 
speaking, of course, to Cartmel's issue that residential speed limits will not solve the problem. Right. Cartmel, again, wasn't really taking the bait. He was silent. He was performing a Mike Nickel the whole time. Then I had tweeted in the... I saw this. Yeah, I was watching your tweets. I wasn't listening, but I was watching your tweet. I had typed out the tweet and I spent like five minutes deciding whether to click the tweet because it's a pretty inflammatory tweet overall. But I said, uh, quote... Today at City Council, speakers address comments directly to at Tim Cartmel. I went and hadn't tagged him. <laughs> he doesn't ask any questions nor speak up. Learning from the Mike Nichols School of Municipal Councilship. Mm. Someone should let him know that losing mayoral elections is what that school teaches. After that, it was a couple of minutes later. He clicked on and said, I've got some questions for Mr. Nobert. They do read Twitter during the meetings. They do. What, what else are they going to do? But... It got a little bit fiery, and I have a little clip to, to play you. Certainly want to see less impacts and less collisions. What would you do? You, can, you, don't, you don't have the money for both, because we don't. So we can put signs up to say, people, keep doing what you're doing. Or we can put that money into measures that might actually force a situation where they are compelled to act safer, those outliers. That's the data that I'm working from. I don't think people should get hurt and die so that you can be mayor, sir. And the choices that you're making are, frankly, turn me off. You used to be for lower speed limits and all of a sudden you're not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, wow. That was the start of the fire. I don't have the rest of the clips. We're waiting for the uh, council. If they're done... You By the time I release, I might have them and we yeah. might put some in here, but it got very fiery over the rest of it to the point where chairwoman Hamilton had to intervene and she said, I'm just going to pause your time, Councillor Cartmel. I just want, I think it's a good moment to remind everyone of decorum and that everyone I think here is in good faith and to uh, both to advocate for a position to defend a position and to be critical, ask critical questions of that position. And I don't want anyone listening in the room or otherwise to think that um, anybody here is in here in bad faith or has ulterior motivations. So I just want to lay that down um, because I, I hear some emotion rising to the top and I, that comes from a passionate place. It comes from a place of care, but, uh, uh, the reason we don't allow clapping or booing um, or uproarious laughter is because we need to be able to have some really tough conversations in this room. So I just, I'll resume your time, Councillor. Um, you can continue your questioning. I just want to put that out there. Thank you. Which isn't something that frequently happens at committee. No, that's really interesting. Uh, what exactly was Cartmel talking about in that in that comment from him? Like, what is what is the data that he meant? What are the two options? So. Cartmel has been falling back on this piece of data, and it was in one of the reports that basically said that, um, you know, a lot of drivers in Edmonton are uh, following the speed limit as it is, the 50 kilometer hour speed limit. Mm. About 80% of drivers are at or below 50 kilometers an hour. And in some neighborhoods, uh, the average speed, of course, we know about averages and skewing, but the average speed can be less than 40 kilometers an hour. And in most neighborhoods, it's around 43, 44 kilometers an hour. So he's taking that and he's saying, look, this one neighborhood has an average speed of less than 40 kilometers an hour. We put up signs that say 40. We're telling drivers to keep doing what you're already doing. He does miss the point with some of that data where let's flip that discussion. 20% of drivers 
aren't obeying the already high speed limit. Right. So on the road right outside of my house, 96th Street, um, there's 6,000 vehicles per day, according to the city's counts in 2015. So that means every day there's a thousand vehicles speeding on that roadway. You're walking to anywhere and you see three cars almost at you and you're like, whoa, who's trying to murder me today? <laughs> right. A thousand is a lot of cars. Yeah. And and I mean, if if what the data he's pointing out is true, doesn't that mean that people are good at reading signs? And if we put up signs that said go slower, they'd go slower. Isn't that one interpretation? It may not be accurate, but that's a, that's a way he could choose to interpret that data. He was very much massaging a piece of data that was amenable to his goals. And of course, he was also making the argument that, oh, no, we need to do traffic engineering countermeasures. The entire core zone or 40 kmh, or if you do both, is in the worst case 2.8 to 3.5 million dollars to do all of it yeah that's nothing in a several billion dollar yeah, budget billion or, yeah and conrad brought up that point in his comments at one point as well and if you listen to the tape you'll hear me say that i will support this motion back eight months ago to come to this committee so that we can end this conversation once and for all but if it meant spending a whole bunch of money on signs then i wouldn't support the notion See, that's the thing about plucking something out of context and replaying it into a microphone. Well, there's this thing about ignoring science, all of it. 50 kilometers an hour in residential speeds, no one's on your side, sir. Nobody. And you're talking two or three million dollars, but you were quite enthusiastic about 100 million for the Terwilliger Drive upgrade. So right. uh, this is concern trolling. You, you aren't concerned about the money, sir. It's not two or three million dollars in a city budget is quite trivial compared to the the benefit that society will gain which was clearly laid out cartmel came out as the big loser of this meeting i would say even in the discussion that nickel was present at the meeting <laughs> cartmel came off as the speaking municipally knob award so did he address the mayor comment uh he didn't he so is that a tacit approval or um agreement that he's running for mayor then or he just chose to i wouldn't say he pushed past it though because you would expect you know someone a speaker at a committee throws a fireball because Conrad definitely threw the first yeah. punch in that scenario. Yeah. And he did it with his comments. But you don't expect a counselor to punch back mm. at a committee meeting. They usually hold themselves above it and they don't get into the weeds. And I think you could see it on the faces of everyone in committee when Cartmel started fighting back that they're like, what are you doing? Right. And I think, honestly, um, the chair probably in another case would have stepped in sooner if she wasn't just so floored that this was even happening, mm. it was really out of place. As a completely different aside, it doesn't bode well for Cartmel's chances of running for mayor. If one member of a, the public at a committee meeting can throw him off tilt and really cause him to have a big explosion of anger, right? how's he going to handle being on stage with someone like Nickel with pointed questions and really getting under people's Having skin? Having to keep 12 of them in line, yeah. Okay, let's get to your talk. So actually, if if I'm understanding what you had planned to do correctly, you didn't necessarily say a whole lot. You played a video. I did. So how did they let you play a video? Is this something you can do? You can do that. Uh, so all you have to do is reach ahead to the clerks ahead of time and say, here's my video. Please make sure it works. I'm not the first person to ever play a video. No. Um, we saw it was a couple years back for the Mill Creek Ravine Daylighting. Uh, some students put together a Minecraft <laughs> sort of model of the Mill Creek Ravine. Right. And that was played to much rave reviews at council. So, yeah, you can play a video. Your video is 
four and a half minutes long. You get five minutes in total. Yep. I timed it. I did some judicious cuts in my video so that I had enough time to intro, play it, add a sarcastic closing remark, and then move on. And so your video is just video or audio clips of the counselors themselves talking about this issue. And so I'm really curious to know how they reacted to that. And we'll have the link in the show notes. So you can listen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when it started, you could feel the air being sucked out of the room. <laughs> no one was really, no one knew what was coming because... Except for the clerks. Uh, who I'm very appreciative didn't leak to the counselors. Right. But that's the thing. When you say as many things as counselors say, the potential for one of them coming to bite you in the butt that's a very real risk. And whether it's on a game of Jeopardy like we did in December or a more serious situation like a public hearing. Yeah. So there was some nervousness. And then you could see when it went from counselor to counselor, like an exhale. You know, I went to McKean <laughs> and it was positive comments. And he's like, oh, yeah, I came out clean there. And really, a lot of the counselors did come out pretty good. I even threw in Banga in the last meeting. Wow. He was generally supportive of lowering speed limits. So I put in his comments in there and said, hey, here you go. I didn't have any comments from Zadok or Nickel. Go figure. Shocker. But again, the big loser at this meeting, uh, I focused pretty heavily on Cartmel because at the last meeting, he wasn't only supportive. He was our key supporter. Cartmel was the front runner. He said, you have solved an impasse that we haven't been able to solve. I'm very excited about this. I personally have taken traffic safety in my own hands and yelled at drivers. He was very supportive of speed reduction. And not just speed reduction, but the core zone, right? The core zone specifically was, he acknowledged as a great solution to the, his political problem. Mm. Um, and as we saw this week in his blog post, complete reversal of positions. No, And not even just no speed reduction in the core zone. He says no speed reduction at all. And so is it what Conrad suggested or do you think there's another reason behind his flip flop? I think it's definitely related to his mayoral run. I think he's playing politics with this issue because he can and he sees the writing on the walls and he's done the political calculus and he thinks this is a bigger win for him, um, especially because he's seen the writing on the wall that this will definitely pass. Hmm. When you have a council being responsible as our council is and saying, hey, let's not continue to murder and maim our citizens, they're going to pass this. He gets an advantage of being the staunch opponent because then when he's pitted on a stage against these other candidates, right. he can be the one that didn't want this nanny state speed solution. Right. Pretty cynical, pretty, uh, I'd say irresponsible, but I think that's where he's coming from here. So this might have been in the questioning, but I saw on Twitter that you said something smart about Google Maps. Yeah. It, it reminded me of this artist who a few weeks ago dragged a wagon full of cell phones down a street in Berlin and it caused Google Maps to think there was a traffic jam. So what did you say? What, what was the context? Andrew Knack was talking with an individual who has been at these meetings since time immemorial about traffic shortcutting and the problems with traffic shortcutting. Right. And she was making the argument that, yeah, we can lower the speed limits, but won't really affect traffic shortcutting. We need, you know, engineering countermeasures in the neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. The things we all have known and heard. Mm. Uh, and then I jumped in and I'm like, hey, guys, we're missing a pretty key component here. People these days don't know their way around the city. They jump into a car, they pull up Google Maps on their Android or auto or Apple CarPlay or whatever, yep. whatever system they have. And then the Google Maps tells them where to go. Yep. In my neighborhood, 99th Street and the neighborhood 96th Street have the same speed limit of, of 50 kilometers an hour. If there is a red light on 99th Street, it's going to route all the traffic up 96th Street, which is just a little bit faster in its mind at that point in time. Of course, there's 
schools, playgrounds, everything around there. It's not a better choice, but in Google's eyes, it is. Yeah. If we set residential speed limits to a lower speed like 30, we're sending a clear signal to those San Francisco people who don't care about our local politics that this road is not for commuting. And that's a huge gain for traffic shortcutting, for volumes, and for just people speeding in our neighborhoods. I would add that it's not even just for people who don't know how to get around. I use Waze every time I get in the car because it will route you around traffic disruptions and other things. I know how to get to your house. I've been here 74 times or however many times we've been recording here, but I use Waze every time and I tend to follow its instructions. So it would make a big difference. If it's instructing you to go through a neighborhood, that's exactly what you're going to do. And I had a couple administrators come up to me after like, that's a really good point. Thanks for bringing that up. We hadn't even thought of that, mm. um, which I guess shows some value of this process. Maybe engaging citizens and, you know, your startup community might have. I didn't think it was that novel a thought. Well, it's a good thing that you said it and it's a good thing that they're aware of it. It's a bit disheartening that the traffic engineers at the city wouldn't have already thought of that. Yeah. Right. Um, OK, so I want to ask you before we move on from this item, uh, you have spoken a number of times on this podcast about how when you go and you speak in front of council, they weigh your opinions more heavily than people who don't, right? Yeah. If you're there face to face, you know, you have an outsized opinion in their eyes. So if that's the case and 25 of the 30 speakers spoke positively about speed reduction, why do you think there's this hesitation to move forward? This isn't an amorphous issue. This isn't some rezoning issue. This is something that affects every Edmontonian Mm. and they've read Facebook comments before. There's this nebulous blob of the drivest that is hanging over everyone's head in this discussion and they know the blowback on doing this wrong is huge. We saw it with playground zones where, yeah, playground zones were a good idea. Yeah. 30 everywhere would be a better idea, but there were some botched implementations with a playground zone and council and admin sort of ate it. They had to bear the brunt of a bad decision on that point. And no one really wants that again. That's why you see a lot of hesitation from admin and a lot of hesitation from council. And I think that's the thing that we're pushing back against. They all want to reduce speeds, but they don't know how far they can go without causing an angry mob. And we've talked about the UCP of it all, the next municipal election. As much as I'd like to get a big win here, let's go 30 across the city. Yeah. If that causes me to have a UCP council in the next election, I've lost the rest of my life. Yeah. You um, win the battle, but lose the war. Kind that's of right. So we're this is all cognizant in the back of our minds, and it's, it's what makes it a complex issue. Hmm. So committee today ultimately decided to kick this up to the full council meeting, which is on March 9th, I yes. believe, because they're off next week. Not altogether surprising. This happens quite frequently on big contentious issues, but they did make some comments about why, right? Michael Walters, I think, tweeted about this. Yeah, he had to tweet about it because uh, it was actually pretty problematic that they did this. Okay. Normally, when there's this contentious issue, they have it out at committee. All members of council will show up for the committee. They'll hear from speakers. They'll hear from administration, ask their questions, and then they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll debate this at council and we'll just wreck that up. They did that differently. They heard from us, the speakers, mm-hmm. and then postponed questions of administration to ah, council. Interesting. Because most of council was absent today. But what that means is a lot of what we're fighting against in the core zone is also a bit of administration where, you know, administration hasn't exactly represented the motion as we'd hoped to see it. Right. So we were combating some of that in our comments. Uh, the EPS has been pretty against the idea of a core zone or differing speed limits. So we temper some of our comments for the police. But 
those individuals now have another two weeks to formulate whatever the response they have rather than answering in the moment gives them an advantage to skew for whatever their preferred solution is. They have a couple weeks to sway council on that. Because council won't hear from speakers anymore, right? It'll just be administration. It will just be questions of administration. So after this two weeks gap, after all of our comments are starting to fade from their memory, right, right. they get administration saying, no, this is the truth. Yeah. And then they make a decision. So that's a bit of a risk. Um, and that's why I think this is probably like, it's very ironic that Kirsten Goa was a speaker there because she was instrumental on the council initiative for public engagement or yeah, whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah. yeah. I think this was a failed exercise in public engagement because what was the real value of all of our time there if it's just going to be forgotten before a decision is made? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That is problematic. Okay, well, in that two weeks, what should people do if they want to get involved in this? Is it worth writing to your counselor at this point? It is. Uh, basically, that's all that is valuable at this point, especially if you want 30. Yeah. There's going to be speed reduction in two weeks. I'm, I'd stake my claim on that. Uh, the core zone... <sighs> It's up in the air. The swing votes, we were counting on Cartmel's vote, um, and right. that's not happening. So if you want 30, some form of 30, now's the time to email your counselor. I'll say as one final point, because it's especially problematic, Strathcona is doing their neighborhood redevelopment. They're the only community in Edmonton that has an official council motion saying your neighborhood will be designed for a speed limit of 30 kilometers an hour. If we don't have the core zone and we go to 40 kmh default city speed limit, our best guess is that Strathcona loses that 30 um, because they're not going to make a 30 kilometer an hour island in the middle right. of this new 40 consistency utopia. Right. So the actual implications of not doing the core zone and just doing 40 everywhere, it's pretty significant for communities like Strathcona and Garneau. Definitely. And that's something that could be lost. So if you're a Strathcona listener and you're thinking, hey, I wanted my 30 kilometers an hour, that's the time to speak up. But that's enough on the core zone. Ooh, we talked about that, but we have to talk about something else because our savior from on a high, we discounted <laughs> him in the past, but John D has solved snow clearing. A uh, friend of the podcast from Ward 3. As soon as I saw this article, I was like, oh man, we're going to have to talk about this. And um, talk we shall. So good old John D is asking that uh, resources be reprioritized so that roads can be addressed faster when we're doing snow removal. So he said, quote, I don't think that bike lanes should be our highest priorities. A lot of people that are driving through real slush are questioning why the bike lanes are being cleared before the roads that they're using, end quote. And I love how in the Edmonton Journal article, the immediate next paragraph reads, Bike lanes are cleared by a separate team and different equipment than city streets, but Deputy City Manager Gord Seabrick said some of the crew could be trained and redeployed to street snow removal if that was the will of council to speed up the process. So it's like, come on, John, this is your facts are completely wrong here. I struggle to understand what John D's end game is here because like there's the populism of it all. And right. You saw Carmel at the speed limit thing. Like, sure, he's wrong about the data, but he's presenting some data he's making an argument a bad one but he's making an argument <laughs> right john d is sort of just in there like has a dead fish in his hand is beating on the wall is look at me guys what is going on with that guy just bizarre to come out with this this week especially since we've heard some more i would say thoughtful critiques of snow removal in previous weeks from michael walters and some others maybe still going after a little bit of populism but at least talking about it with some facts the question is, what is his end game? Because I don't think he's running for mayor. Right. We have a big slew of it. Is this just like riling up his base to get a next election? 
is he going for the uninformed vote? Like, I <laughs> I literally just don't see the political calculus of doing this unless he truly believes everything he says. Right. In which case, read the next paragraph of the article, John. Yeah, absolutely. That's about all we have time for this week. We uh, burned through some core zone stuff, but... March 9th, that's the next time it'll be happening. Uh, Council's on break next week. So what happens next week? We'll figure something out. Oh, yeah. We're enterprising individuals. Lots to discuss. We would be remiss if sometimes we do ads for, you know, Marvel Universe of Superheroes at the Tell Us World of Science or Let's Food. But we can never forget our business daddy, or actually your business daddy, business (laughs) granddaddy, ATB. Uh, We're a part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And ATB wants you to know that if you want a bank that doesn't keep you on the bench, ATB is a proud supporter of hockey access across Alberta. From grassroots to pro, ATB helps teams across the province and the countless volunteers that make community hockey possible. So whether you're on the ice or on the bleachers or driving the Zamboni uh, in the NHL. And winning um, the game. And winning the game. You can visit atb.com slash hockey to find out how ATB helps make hockey possible for Albertans. And that's all for this week. Um, Council's on break, as we mentioned. Um, So we'll figure out what the next week holds. It'll be a fun episode. We've learned not to promise things. So you'll just have to tune in then for the surprise. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.